0: Hey there, welcome to The New School's Podcast. Heather Staker is the founder and president of Ready to Blend, where she leads a team of 150 facilitators in the United States, Middle East, and South America, who are certified to deliver blended learning workshops to teachers. She also hosts a podcast by the same name, Ready to Blend. Heather is the co-author of the book, Blended, Using Disruptive Innovation to Improve Schools, and co-founder of Brain Chase Productions, which creates online learning challenges disguised as worldwide treasure hunts for students in grades one through eight. So what's Blended Learning all about? Here to help us find out, your host, Shannon Falkenstein, and our blended learning expert, Heather Staker.
1: Hi, Heather Staker. Thanks so much for being with us today on the New Schools podcast.
2: Thanks. I'm glad to join you.
1: Excellent. So I always like to kick it off on a really positive note. So would you tell us what is your favorite thing about working with young learners?
2: I think I love how young learners are naturally candid so yesterday my son was coming home he's he's in third grade and he was on his way home and he said mom i recited all of 99 bottles of beer on the wall from 99 down to zero and then i kept going and i got to negative 99 bottles of beer on the wall (laughs) And I just love how candid he is. I just love that he'll just tell me exactly where his mind is, and he'll they'll blurt out the funniest things as a result of just zero filter. They'll tell me exactly what they like and don't like. I love that. I wish adults were more like that sometimes.
1: Oh, that's great. I love that anecdote. Yeah, I agree. Like, I feel that children have their priorities, right? That they want to have a great time. And that if we could preserve that, we would all be a lot less stressed out and have a
2: lot better lives. So I love
1: I think love it's being true. I, I
2: have five children. And I remember when my first child was just talking and laughing and being so funny um, and so loud and friendly at the pharmacy. We were just at the local pharmacy. And I looked at him, and I just thought, did I spawn you? Because we are not at all alike. And it, it, just, it just, as a new mother at the time, I had no idea that these emergent beings would have pre-packaged so much of a sense of self and so much to offer that was not directly related to my generic, genetic inheritance. I've really noticed that as I've come to see these children developing into their own people over time.
1: Right. I imagine, and I just, I have two kids, so I noticed that they are very different. And I imagine with five that you have even a lot more variety and, and that plays out where you're like, I don't really have control over any of this. They are just their own people that will, will flourish as they will.
2: I think that's true. I mean, one of the things that, that as a mother that I've wrestled with a lot is how much do you try and expose your children to the classics, like should they all play soccer? Should they all play baseball? Um, Should they all have some basic familiarity with like the classic extracurriculars that a lot of children experience? And what I've come to decide is that they're so unique in who each of them is that it's better to just try to honor their own path and help them find their gifts that they want to lean into. I feel like they're happier and I'm happier when we do that, but it took several years of rumbling to get to that point.
1: Yeah, I think so. Uh, I agree with that. And I, I, in my own experience, and that's one thing that Acton has really given me is the ability to, just dig in and like really trust that they know where they're going and they know what they want and to really do like Maria Montessori says and follow the child and trust the child. So Heather, you have, um, you have a movement called ready to blend about blended learning. Will you tell us kind of your, like what that is and why it's so important. And then also a little bit of your backstory, like how did
2: you come to create ready to blend and why? Sure. So, I was friends and acquaintances with Clayton Christensen at the Harvard Business School. He's a renowned professor who has done so much to help think about how to innovate in the education sector, in the healthcare sector, in in world in. Countries that uh, struggle with poverty, and just thinking about how can we infuse more innovations into social problems, as opposed to only thinking about how Fortune 500 companies can innovate more successfully. So I was, I was um, one of his students, and I just really loved his theories as when i was in harvard business school with him and then i went on to work for the clayton christensen institute where we took those theories of innovation and applied them and my focus was on the education sector well one of my first assignments was to look at schools that were using online learning in some form or fashion as part of their learning design And we canvassed the United States to identify schools that fit that bill. And one of the schools that popped up on my radar was this tiny little school called Acton Academy that only had about eight students at the time. It was meeting in a house that they'd repurposed as a tiny little school. And as I sat on the sidelines and watched the students in this school have a Socratic discussion, and then put on their lab coats and be dismissed to go work on patents that they were working on for a science quest. These were young children. And there was not a noticeable adult influence in the room except for during the Socratic discussion. There was a guide that was leading that discussion. But then as the students dispersed to work on their their group and individual quests, there was no noticeable adult top-down control of that Situation. And I was dumbfounded. I'd never seen anything like it before. And it was it blew my paradigm because I realized that Until then I'd been looking at online learning as an enabler for students to move at their own pace and for Students to maybe have more of a gamified experience if the software was gamified But I'd never really thought about how once you take away the construct that this role of the teacher has to be to impart direct instruction then you really remove a lot of the design constraints that have dictated how schools must function for over a hundred years. And so it really just opened my eyes and I thought, wow, what is possible for students to do without the teacher being the one who's directly at moment by moment controlling what they do? And then what is the role of the adult if she's freed from that previous role? So, Seeing Acton Academy in action helped open my paradigm. We ended up moving from Hawaii to Texas where I had first observed the school to put our own children in the school because I was so taken by what I observed as a researcher studying the school. I went on then to look at several other instances of schools doing really pioneering work by using technology, using the power of innovation to blow apart the design constructs that had really determined what schools were all about for so, so many generations. And it helped, and I, I took that research and then helped to piece it together through a series of reports and then a book about what we call blended learning, using online learning as part of the schooling system. And that eventually led to founding my own organization, which is called Ready to Blend, where I help educators of all stripes, whether they're in the public system or the private system or a micro school, think about how do you take the various pieces that are available and assemble them together in a new way that's more student-centered, that more allows children to lead their own journey, to move at their own pace, to have a more imaginative, creative learning experience, and then in in turn, what's the role of the adult? And that's really what we focus on on at Ready to Blend is Helping guide the adults to creating those environments for children, and to reenvisioning how they contribute in an even more meaningful way into children's lives once those new those pieces have been put together in a, in a new way.
1: Wow! Thank you so much. I, this I want to go in like three different directions. So, one really quickly: Did you had you looked at Sugata Mitra's uh, hole in the wall experiment and school in the cloud? experiments as part of your research and part of your um, knowledge?
2: Well, certainly because his work is is part of the strand that's becoming more and more available for students of student-driven learning and student-organized learning environments, where instead of thinking that the adult has to control the everything about the scope and sequence of the child's journey. Now we think of the opportunity more as the adult is the game maker that helps to set the parameters and create the environment and then invite the children to show up and start their learning experience. So certainly Sugatra Mitra has been one of the pioneers of of just opening our construct for the, that possibility. I still think we have so far to go as a, as a generation of adults to even begin to imagine how powerful children can be, how much they can do. I also think that some of the structures that need to be developed in order to really help equip students for that kind of capacity are still in the works. So it doesn't work very well. I've seen this happen again and again, that a school that might be a traditional school says we want to move to one of these more student driven high agency environments. And they over the summer try to shift. And then these 11th graders enter the school on the day one and it's chaos. It just really doesn't work very well because these 11th graders since pre-K have been in an environment that's more sit and get. And so as our, expertise around how do you onboard students into that kind of a high agency environment improves, then we'll have an easier time helping students make that adjustment. Because it's not like you can just immediately throw them in the deep end and expect them to have all of those agency skills where they can thrive in an environment that gives them many options.
1: Yes, I, I, I have had that experience where if we, when children come in at an older age, there's often a sense of like, who is going to tell me what to do now? And there needs to be a period of de-schooling before they can kind of grab back onto that rope of agency, like you were talking about. So you mentioned in your um, explanation about the ideal role of an adult in a blended learning environment. Can you tell us a little bit more about that?
2: Sure. So some of the research I did with the Clayton Christensen Institute led to a a playbook that was called how to create higher performing, happier classrooms in seven moves. And what we did was we looked at the best performing organizations in America and the organizations that also had really happy teams. And it turns out there is data that is available that, that identifies companies and other organizations that were successful. And also it was a great place to work. People were happy being there. And we said, what, Is it about the managers in those organizations that leads to those successes where the people are performing well and they're happy to be there? And then could we replicate some of those same strategies in schools? Now, granted, students are not employees and teachers are not managers, but we thought there's something about these organizations that have managers who are able to have really high performing and happy teams that could be replicated perhaps in schools. And what we found was that the best managers in these organizations did a couple of things. One is that they empowered their teams and they didn't micromanage. And the second was that they gave radically frequent feedback. So in essence, they were just really great coaches. And that's how I envision the role of the teacher evolving in our schools is instead of the teacher being tied to the front of the classroom, delivering the instruction, the higher leverage thing for teachers to do is to free up their time by empowering learners to make progress on their own. And then with that windfall of time, giving radically frequent feedback and building relationships of trust with each learner really just loving the learners and giving them that that boost of, of um, humanity in their lives. And then thinking about how do you continue to empower your teams and not micromanage them. So continuing to build systems that do those things in those classrooms. And as I describe those things to teachers, so often teachers are excited by that possibility. They think all this time I've wanted to be able to administer to individual needs and I just haven't had the time. And so they find that as they start, it, the hardest part is releasing control. They're so you, They're so accustomed to just feeling like they need to impart the instruction, but as they start experimenting with posting their content, providing the content in other ways so that their time is freed up, then they start saying, wow, I'm finally able to connect individually with students and give feedback and mentor them. And that, that's a really powerful opportunity. And when we need more and more, I think this world is getting more and more complex. More and more children need that kind of adult relationship. And yet in a traditional classroom, it's really hard for a teacher to say, hey, 29 of you, can you just sit there for a minute? Because I see that Angelique here in the corner really needs my personal attention for the next 15 minutes.
1: I love that you're saying that and that you sound like an ally of teachers because sometimes I think teachers get kind of caught in the crossfire of these changes and that maybe even they don't have their voice heard, that there's a lot of parents, there's a lot of innovators. And then of course, I think people that are doing this work are very student-centered, but I think sometimes the traditional teacher gets kind of lost in the mix. So I really love that you're, that you're kind of showing that respect and giving the perspective of teachers
2: and i absolutely agree with you so many teachers are i really honestly in my heart believe that the majority of teachers are true community heroes just at the beginning of this school year as my third grade son's teacher was trying to engage him over zoom as all of these remote learners were connecting over zoom for the first time and just to hear her cheerful Attempt. I just, I just honor her and all teachers who are working so hard to help these, these children. And at the same time, I think that the opportunity for teachers is to see that they can connect even more authentically and frequently with children, as they're willing to delegate some of that uh, instructional piece to innovations that allow students to access it on their own. And that doesn't mean that they don't instruct anymore. There's a role for teachers that might want to be instructional designers and post the content on behalf of the system, but other teachers don't want that role. They don't want to be posting content. They'd prefer to be connecting with individuals. So I think also what we're seeing is just the disaggregation of the teacher role and more opportunity for some people who prefer to spend the time giving the feedback and coaching to do that, and other people who'd be, who'd prefer to build the content on behalf of the system are, are moving into that kind of a role.
1: I think it's such a great, right now, there's so much content online, and there's so many people doing content in many different ways that a teacher can now really spend their time being a curator more than an, a creator, and that would free up their time to do what you're saying, like more one-on-one, more coaching role, more game making and setting up like kind of the pathway that you go through the curriculum. Um, So our mission at the new schools is to help families and educators um, who feel frustrated or kind of, you know, dissatisfied somehow with the current system. And I think COVID is another huge pressure being put on that system And that they're looking to find the best learning environment, either for their children or for themselves, if they're educators. So for someone out there who's kind of in that position and is thinking of starting something new or is trying to find something different, what advice would you give them based on your expertise and your research?
2: One piece of advice is to do your due diligence about the micro school networks that are emerging right now because it takes a substantial amount of intellectual property to create really good curriculum or to know how to curate it correctly. And what I found is that some of these systems like, like Acton Academy or Prenda that are coming together to help do that work are well worth the investment to, and, and, and it's worth being part of that network. I don't have an affiliation with those Organizations at this point, so I'm not saying that um, in self interest. I just have found that they have so many years of developing curriculum and structures that it helps sometimes to lean into those. So, do your due diligence regarding what's already available. And then, the other thing I would just suggest is to really look at school partly from the student perspective and what do children want to be doing with their lives? What do, what progress do they want to be making in their own lives? And what we found through research at the Christensen Institute is that most children want to feel like they're successful every day. And they want to feel like they're having fun with friends. And adults might think of that and say, well, that seems sort of frivolous. But what children want are those two things. And so sometimes it's a public school option that is the best option for delivering those things for students. The system just really is structured in a way where those students can experience success. It works for their learning styles. And other time, and, and, and they're able to have fun with their friends. And other times, children are, are just not engaged. And quite likely, it's because one of those two things It's either because they don't feel like they're successful, they feel like they're hitting their head against the wall every day, or because they're not having fun with friends or they're feeling bullied or they're feeling somehow excluded. And those two things seem to trigger the most dissatisfactory from the student perspective. And for me as a parent, as I have tried to help think about what are the right opportunities for my children, I think those are the things that you can, in part, lean on for um, evaluating which school will help your children thrive the most. Those two things are in place. The other thing that I found when um, when we put our children in a micro school for a number of years was that. It was just really nice to know that they were in an environment that was safe and where I, even if there was like a swear word, the children would come together and have a town hall to discuss, like, how do we want to deal with this? And to know that they were in an environment where there was that kind of intentionality around the culture meant a lot to me as a parent. So kind of. Separate from the pedagogy, separate from the academics, just purely like the culture. I wanted to be a place that I knew was going to be really intentional around making sure that my children were in a a place full of light during the day. And I felt like that was something that we found.
1: And how would a parent um, determine those things? I think some parents may not even know how to sort of analyze a potential school environment to know if those things are present.
2: Well, we were lucky enough to be able to visit a school and observe it for a while before we moved our children into it. And so it does seem like that's the the best is if the school happens to have an open door policy that allows you to observe. I think short of that, that a lot of it comes down to what we can glean from the experiences of other parents and, and children. And I do think that we're developing more tools uh, and a more of a a, a worldview that supports alternative options for schooling and expect that over the years, those will become even better, that it will be easier to find the opportunities that are available to our children because it's kind of a new age that that's even something that we're discussing is affordable alternatives to traditional education. It really wasn't something that people had the luxury of discussing a couple of decades ago. And so, we're in an era that's just catching up with that. Now I was, I've spent some time on the outschool website and some of these organizations that are starting to curate the different options for families and present them to them will be helpful. That's
1: great. Thank you. Thank you very much. So a question lately we've seen that, um, enrollment in university due to COVID, it's really decreasing, right? Obviously, because people can't even go to campus and, you know, it's a big question mark there. Um, And so I, I'm curious, like you obviously have a very um, high level education. You went to business school at Harvard. So you would, we could say that you've reached like the peak of, of the educational opportunity during this time, being someone who came from that educational opportunity, If you were like a junior or senior in high school again, and your parents would tell you, you can have the money for college and you can do whatever you want with it. What would you choose today as like a junior or senior in high school?
2: Well, let me back up just a minute. I will get to that question, but just, I do want to just say that even younger children, like, so if you're just starting high school and I've made this offer to my own children, and that is that if there were one time to choose to try something non-traditional, I think it's this year, because I can, I, I even was reviewed um, admissions applications for Harvard college for a while. And one of the things that we looked for was st- students who had an interesting story to tell, who had done something that was exceptional and, and, and authentically theirs and, So I said to my own children, look, whether you want to go to a college or not, if you wanted to take a risk and do something that was totally different, this is your year to do it. Because I could imagine that a college with so many students not being in school right now or or being remote learners, that if a college were to get an application from a student that said, look, here's what I did. I chose these four courses that I wanted to take online. And then I started a nonprofit and I volunteered here and I... Um, helped at this medical facility in this way, that that would be welcome at this moment when um, the the colleges in a year or two are going to be getting a lot of uh, stories of students who struggled because of the remote learning. So I just wanted to mention that, that for parents that are really wondering what to do right now with their high school students, I think this is a window of opportunity to be more experimental and still assume that they're on track for college than in other years, I would I would be willing to make that bet. But in terms of college, I personally am very, very glad that I went the route that I went. I went to Harvard College and Harvard Business School, and I feel like it has been so helpful for me because I needed a way to be able to, I wanted to have a family. And so to be able to, um, to have a career, and also have a family, it brought tremendous opportunities to me to do that. So I'm a little bit inclined to say, man, jumping through some of those hoops, I do think gives a safety net to people that wanna have options and have flexibility in their lives. And to me, I would feel like I would be unthankful if I, if I said like that route didn't make a difference for me. It has, it has opened so many doors. And the truth is we live in a world that still to some extent appreciates those credentials. So I do think um, that I'm prone to feel like those, those signifiers of, um, just those signifiers, I guess, are still something. And, and, and so I'm not as risk taking as some people are. That being said, you see the boot camps, you see the various options for corporate training that allow you to skirt the university system and still end up with a, with, the skills that would contribute in this world. And I, I think we're moving in that direction. I think COVID has, has hastened that with so many uh, higher education opportunities starting to really struggle. So I think we're moving quicker to that. I just don't know if we're there yet that I would take the risk with my children. That's, I'm, that's my true, honest answer. Do yeah. you see that differently?
1: No, I don't. I just... Um... Yeah, I just love to hear everybody's kind of take on it. Actually, this is the first time on the podcast that I've asked that specific question because I'm hearing that question a lot. And so I think it's just, I just am interested in exploring what different people, how different people react to that question. Um, So thank you so much for saying that. I think your answer is very valid and very helpful to so many people. Um, and kind of further to that, do you believe that an alternative education, you know, like saying coming, going to a micro school or opting out and doing unschooling or homeschooling your kids, do you feel that that makes it harder to get into an elite university or, um, yeah, to get into an elite university or do you think it gives you an advantage or does it depend on kind of how you deal with that situation?
2: Well, I'll tell you, I was talking to the founder of Minerva University. We were both speaking in Moscow at one point together and as we were backstage waiting to go on stage, he, I said that, I said, you're a non-traditional university and so are you do you find that you're also really friendly to students who apply to you with non-traditional backgrounds? And have you found a way to, to create an admission system that's very tolerant and flexible of students that don't have a traditional background? And he said, I'll tell you what, it's complicated for admissions officers to try to review candidacy based on portfolios and that ultimately when they're getting thousands of applications and they get, alternative portfolios as opposed to traditional transcripts and and test scores that it's just very complicated. I don't think that means it's not that it necessarily penalizes you. I just think that universities haven't figured it out yet. And that one vision I have for K-12 education is that we'll have better organizations emerge that are able to validate students' competencies. So that as students develop different areas of excellence and different areas of mastery, that they can demonstrate that in ways that then a third party could say, that passes the bar. That is true excellence in that specific category. And then that would allow students to cobble together a portfolio of evidence that has been like validated by third-party assessors, and then present that evidence to higher education. We just don't have that ecosystem yet. But I think if that were to emerge, it would be easier for a student to take some classes here and do some things here and earn this certification here, and then present it in a way that's, that's reasonable for a university system to be able to digest.
1: So do you know of any movements to do that right now? Like one thing that we've been evaluating in the ACTA network is mastery transcripts. Um, But that's really just right now. My school only goes to eighth grade, so I'm not in that yet. But um, are you aware of mastery transcript? And are there any other ones that you would say are emerging?
2: Well, I hope some. if if anyone who listens to this podcast has better information than me, I would love to hear it. I have been talking to different uh, funders about what possibilities there are for this. Not that I'm going to do it, but just because I'm interested in Who can help solve the problem? I don't think there's a really reliable solution right now. Would it be someone like College Board? Um, Would it be a completely different third party that we've never thought of yet? I don't know who it is, but I think that once you're able to solve for that, and particularly this year, I've had so many parents say to me, I'm pulling my kids out of school this year. They're going to do X, Y, and Z. How do I ensure that by the end, they're able to show that they've actually mastered... English three or whatever it is that they're doing as a family, as opposed to in school. And that's a genuine job to be done that I think a lot of parents are facing this year, or maybe their student has gone off and learned horseback riding, or maybe they've learned Taekwondo or done something else during this year. How can they then certify that they've done something valuable with their time? And I think that from the college's perspective or in a future employer's perspective, that if, they were able to see that that student was ambitious and resourceful and did something that involved teamwork and diligence and all of those skills that they want to see in the people whom they admit, then you could imagine that they would feel comfortable admitting someone with a very non-traditional background. But right now it's sort of a black box to try to understand if a student says they've been doing these things, is that valid or not? We don't really have that kind of a modular system in place yet. I think that's great for people to know. Thank you. Thank you so much. And not just know, but I think also to aspire to that really as we envision this world that's more student-centered and that gives a lot more options to families and to students and to teachers, it's helpful to call out where it feels like there's gaps. And if there aren't gaps, if there are people who are doing exactly what I'm describing, then you and I need to know about it. Yes, so we need, we need to call it out because I do think in 50 years when you have a podcast like this again, or if someone's doing this podcast, some of these problems will be solved, but we're really in like the second inning right now where we're just trying to create this world that's much more flexible and modular. And there are a lot of gaps. Yeah,
1: I, I, I agree with you. And I'm glad that you're, you're calling out to the audience to kind of like crowdsource information because there are, that's what I'm finding in the podcast is there's so much innovation going on and people kind of doing similar things. And we all need to like kind of stand up and look around and connect together. And that's going to be what forms that, that, um, that fabric that will kind of rise everyone up. And I love it that you said we're in the second inning and um, it's a hero's journey, right? So we're all starting out and we're, we're going to keep making this path while we're walking it, but we're going to get to where, where we want to be. And that's a better educational environment that, really respects kids and prepares them for the, the work environment that is here already and that's going to continue developing. So I always have like a final question um, that is about metaphor. So I love metaphor and I think it really helps people to bridge in their minds um, and under a greater and deeper understanding of what we're talking about. So if you could create a metaphor that compares kind of the traditional system to, um, to blended learning or to kind of like where we're going with all of this new schools
2: stuff. What would that be, Heather? Well, one of the metaphors I talk about in my book is the electric golf cart, that there are car companies that are trying to put, to create the pure electric engine that's just going to get out there and compete head on against gasoline powered engines. And so they're out there tussling against each other. And it's a big expensive mess. And meanwhile, out on the periphery, there are these golf carts that are starting to drive like children driving around my community in these golf carts. Do you have maybe not where you live, but um, but they're really on the rise. And in fact, these electric powered, almost like golf carts, Are even being used in some communities for children to take for teenagers to get to school. And parents love them because they don't accelerate very quickly and you have to recharge them a lot so kids can't go very far from home. And over time, those are what I think will become the car of the future because there's not so much they're good enough as they are right now. There's a market for them as they are right now. They're not really competing or threatening to the established like gasoline powered engine market and so they'll get their start just out there serving the the parents at, at the teenagers who are having with them and they're also really popular with senior centers so like in senior residential communities where the where the where the seniors can use them and so that's the metaphor that i think for schooling where there's a lot of effort being made to innovate in the traditional system but i think watch out for the golf carts
1: That is a delightfully surprising metaphor. Thank you. That's really cool. Yes, my brother has one of those. My cousins have one of those. (laughs) Yes, I know exactly what you mean. Um, Wonderful. Well, Heather, I have really enjoyed talking with you. And I imagine that our audience has learned so much from your wisdom and from sharing your personal experience. Um, so all the links to your work will be found, re- you know, on the podcast page and, and down below wherever it is. Um, but what is the quickest way that our listeners could find you if they wanted to find more information right now?
2: If they'll go to readytoblend.com and just there's a big button that says contact us and then you can select the ways that you might want to engage going forward and then I'll reach out to you.
1: Fantastic. And I think you have kind of a, a bi-weekly freebie on Tuesdays. I signed up for that
2: yesterday where you oh, offer that's resources to help schools right. and yeah. individuals. Yeah. The idea is that we need to share as these innovations are emerging and share the best that we're finding out there so that people aren't recreating what other people are working on. And so I'm helping with that curation process. So again, if you go to readyblend.com and then select contact us. You can get those biweekly um, shares that help just build this ecosystem out more quickly.
1: Fantastic. Thank you so much, um, Heather Staker. And thank you to our listeners for stopping by today. Thank you, Shannon. Thank
0: you. Thanks for listening to the new schools podcast. Tell a friend. Previous episodes and show notes including any books or websites our guests recommend can be found at thenewschools.com If you're a parent who is looking for a new school for your family send us a message we would love to help We can answer questions share the resources we have and help you get in touch with people in your area who are on the same path determined to provide their kids with the best education It's wildly important work Thank you for doing it, and we'll see you next time.